Hey, Chris. Hi, Jess. Hey, Johnny. What's up? Hello, hello. And hello, listeners who are joining us today. Um, if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that usually you're here with myself and Chris. But today we have our very first guest on the Food for Thoughts podcast. Johnny, how are you doing? Tell us how you feel about being our first guest ever. It's a pleasure to be your very first guest. Um, yes. You know, uh, uh, such a little old Irish man who feels <laughs> humbled to be the number one, the, not the number one, the first guest on this awesome Canadian podcast. So thank you. you this there is you a go. great honor. You know what? Actually, I think it's more of like an international podcast now. Like we've got my Canadian accent, Chris's Zimbabwean accent. Um, no one actually knows where Chris is from, but apparently he's from Zimbabwe. And yeah, now we've got an Irish guy. So listen, we're doing great. We're doing great. <laughs> that so, is a yeah, good mix. Um, I'm really happy you're here. Um, can you tell us about the snack we're going to have today? I've actually never had the snack. Chris has had it, but um, I think you should uh, tell us what it's all about. Well, the Irish are known for many things, and, and one of the things we're known for, <laughs> maybe in a slightly negative way, is, unfortunately, our poor drinking culture. But there is also good parts to our, uh-huh. our alcohol and what we have produced, and one of them is Guinness, which is a very special drought, uh, kind of a stout beer. Um, I don't particularly love it, so I do feel a bit of a fraud, but I enjoy it as like a special treat to maybe celebrate mm. with other people from time to time so it's it's guinness it is creamy it is thick people would describe it as a meal in a drink uh, wow. but that that is guinness okay i know chris likes it and he was going on about how fancy and all of that it is <laughs> i do like it i think it's an amazing uh it's probably my favorite beer so i'm really excited for us to be able to try it together right Yay. now I'm are we pretty. ready to try it i've never had it it smells nice but okay cheers oh, cheers here we go ah <laughs> oh it's, it's good it's it is absolutely good. delightful i Jess, don't get it you don't get it i don't get it it's not maths <laughs> It's watery. No, you it's know not. when you have. Uh, what's going on? It's. I don't like it. Oh dear. It feels like. Well, most most Guinness appreciators will actually admit to not liking their first drink. Okay, so I shouldn't give up on it. Is what you say? I've I learned that. I can take multiple. <laughs> <laughs> like on my tongue <laughs> i'm not liking it you guys maybe maybe i'll try it again some other day i mean what i've learned about you jess is you tend to come around so okay uh, maybe you don't like it now but i'm sure you're gonna like it in the future <laughs> i mean if the listeners can it see will grow face, on you <laughs> yes slowly okay it is also like I'm still kind of morning here, so drinking a Guinness in the morning when you still have Colgate on your tongue doesn't have the same kind of feel. <laughs> Maybe that's why, yeah. Awesome. Yes, the trick is not to brush your teeth before having a Guinness. Um, it's actually in the bylaws. Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay. No, sure wonder. no wonder. <laughs> this is my first Guinness in Irish. months and months and months. I'm, I'm excited to have it again. 
Good drink. Good, good drink. But seriously, it's like on my tongue now. I'm not, I'm mad at you guys. This is not a good start to the show. (laughs) Do you have a cup of water next to you or anything? No, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Johnny, you're the first guest. You're not. You're fired, Johnny. You are welcome. (laughs) Well, I mean, we'll be fair to Johnny. You actually originally wanted us to try a particular brand of chips, but they are not available in Canada because of health laws or something. <laughs> they didn't want them here. So I couldn't believe when you sent me that article. Tato, cheese and onion crisps are iconic. And we love them. And you would have loved them. Mm. And Jess would have been smiling right now. Although she smiles all the time. But she would have been genuinely smiling <laughs> because of enjoyment. Exactly. <laughs> like we tried to order them and we couldn't get them. And yeah, that, that was this article about how they're not fit for human consumption. But I know I would have been happy. Canadians <laughs> just don't have the stomach for it, I guess. <laughs> that and yeah. Lucasade apparently was the other one that they banned. Mm. Anyway... <laughs> I'm in a similar boat. I mean, I have uh, some real long history with Australia, and I love Vegemite as an extension of that. And Vegemite is really, really hard to come by here for the same reason. They don't want it. They don't think it's fit for human consumption, which is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get into it for today, shall we? Um, Yes. We're talking about, well, the, the, the title of the podcast is going to be What Would Jesus Cancel? Uh, you know, a little quippy play on words, uh, as opposed to what would Jesus do? We want to look at the idea of cancel culture briefly, uh, look at, you know, what is it? And is there anything that Jesus has strong sentiments about? Uh, and if so, what is that? What would Jesus cancel? What would he want to do away with in the world? Uh, mm-hmm. And then use that as a launch pad to continue chatting about what as Christians should be our approach to uh, you know, what the church is, how do we deal with sin within the church, and things like that. So I want to just uh, throw it over to Jess or Johnny. Uh, can, what would you say as a brief definition to cancel culture, and what, what do you think it is? It's kind of hard. I mean, like, I, when it happens, like, you kind of know that it's there, but it's hard to explain, but I guess... I would see it as something that happens when, okay, when collectively we agree that something isn't okay, but we see someone doing it kind of, especially like when they do something wrong, like undercover, um, we kind of bring that to to the light. We call them out publicly and publicly shame them and publicly say, you shouldn't do that. And because you've done that, we're done with you. We're finished. We don't want to have anything to do with you again. I think... Um, I mean, yeah, there's specific examples, but I think in general, that's what uh, cancel culture is. I could be wrong, but don't cancel me. <laughs> yeah, it's actually like I've I find it hard to, you know, to put a straight definition on it. Like in in many ways, it seems like online mob, yeah, kind of gang, yeah, um, activity where it you know it it escalates. Uh, to an individual to a point where we want to make that individual just go away mm. to to cease to exist mm-hmm. uh, and so it's it is i would say yeah the worst of mob mentality now in online digital form uh, and i think it is very anti christianity mm. um it's it's 
seems to be zero grace involved, uh, zero second chance. It's uh, it's like this opportunity to jump upon something um, and to jump on it and bring all your friends to so that we can make as loud as noise as possible against this person uh, or thing and until it goes away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would... I'd agree with your guys' definition. I think that it it does have this sense of mob mentality to it of uh, kind of taking matters into our own hands when dealing with issues, not not necessarily like looking to uh, proper channels in order to deal with indiscretions or with you know problematic behavior. It's very much we're going to take care of this and we're going to make you suffer in whichever way we deem appropriate. And and I think one of the one of the hardest things to swallow about it is that lack of a lack of um, recourse on the part of the individual to be able to do anything about it, um, mm-hmm. to be able to explain in an adequate way um, and, and you sort of contextualize perhaps what happened. And then secondly, there doesn't seem to be any really redemptive way back. If you have been cancelled, that's it. And there's, there doesn't seem to be a way you can kind of come out of that, come under that, come come out from under that again. It's like, we're done with you, case closed type of mentality. And I think that does show a lack of grace and a lack of sustainability as well. Like, I just, I see that as a really big issue within it. And so, I guess, uh, maybe a bit of a leading question, but do you, do you think there is something that, like, what would Jesus <laughs> do? Like, is there something you feel like Jesus would want to do away with entirely, like when we look at the life of Christ, um, number one, what do you think Jesus hated? Mm. And number two, like, okay, would would he react to what he hated in the same way that the cancer culture reacts? Okay. So I guess starting with the first question, what I do think, you think Jesus like, hates? Um, yeah, as in, not to sound like a little bit of a cop-out or maybe... Uh, or maybe a very obvious response, but I think Jesus would love to cancel cancel culture because he would have made huge statements uh, in his three years of ministry to, I suppose, stand alongside or engage with the members of the society that were cancelled, I suppose, in that sense um, 2,000 years ago. And he wanted to make a very clear statement what his forgiveness looked like, mm. how huge it was that no matter what you as a society um, think, I'm here to to tell you that you guys are far off um, and that my love and forgiveness and inclusion is much bigger than you could you could dare imagine. Um, so I suppose, yeah, on the on the face of it, I think I think Jesus would love to 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 he would love for us to rethink cancel culture. Uh, and I think he would make some pretty big statements if he was here on earth today. Mm. Um, and I'd love to sort of watch to see what he would do mm. or say. Mm-hmm. Wow, that would be so cool to see yeah. how, if Jesus appeared today, what would he speak against? What would he, how would he react to our culture today? What a fascinating like thought experiment that would be. 
Yeah, Johnny, you're talking about like the things that Jesus would do and say. And I think that's um, that's what I like about the Gospels that like, yes, he would go around preaching and saying a bunch of things, but then his actions would back up like his teachings. And so what you're going on and saying that like, okay, the people who were marginalized, the people who were canceled, he did actively go out of his way to spend time with them, whether it was people who were sick or people for like for health reasons were excluded and like shut off from society. Like he wasn't just saying that they were valuable but he was showing it through his actions um, that they did have a place in his kingdom. And so, yeah, I, I agree that like this, this thing that we do now 2000 years later to kind of want to push people to the side when we disagree with them, um, Jesus did the opposite of that. So, yeah, I like that he didn't just talk about it, but it was actually something that he did. A great, really great example of him actually doing that is, is him when uh, he kind of encounters the woman caught in adultery. I mean, oh yeah. You have a person oh. who's literally guilty of adultery. There's no, you know, there's no question of whether she was wrongly convicted. It certainly isn't presented that way, and he doesn't treat it as if as though she's just sort of some innocent woman caught up in something that is wrong. She's guilty of adultery, and so certainly a person who can absolutely, you know, face that mob mentality and is facing a mob ready to right. stone her. So the parallels are really strong. And then you can just see how he reacts. He reacts by pointing out the fact that everyone is, is guilty before God. And therefore, our judgments and condemnations of another person always have to be filtered through a mutual uh, need for grace, a mutual need to, of mercy. And, and we just see how he points that out and people can't withstand such scrutiny, you know. I was, um, like, to prepare for this talk, I was looking at, like, different memes um, about, like, different... Uh, Great research methods. This is how I research, I look at memes. But there was one where the, the it's, like, the Pharisees were, like, so we're about to stone this chick, and Jesus was, like, Psh, like, you never, um, which is, like... <laughs> essentially what he was saying it's, it's not as if you never committed any sin either you know like at the end of that story he's really let let him who has no sin throw the first stone um so yeah it is important to have that filter to not go around condemning and i mean i say that but it's like something i need to apply to like when i want to call someone out for something i kind of need to ask myself the question well don't i fall short of god's standards too you know so yeah yeah and i mean i think if i look at it you know, I think I totally agree with you, Johnny, that Jesus stands with those who are cancelled. You know, he stands with the tax collectors, he stands with the sinners, he stands with the prostitutes. And that's, you know, these are people who, they're not, they're not sort of, like I said, they're not innocent people. They're literally, you know, people who have done things that are reprehensible, and yet Christ stands with them. It seems like to me the one thing he, he just cannot seem to abide is bad religion. It's people mm. who... Um, who would just sort of take God's name in vain in the sense of sort of putting God's stamp of approval on behavior that is just absolutely anti-godly, you know, not at all godly. And, and that's something that he stands really strongly against and calls people out for. And he, he reserves some of his most strongest criticisms um, and rebukes for those who uh, presume to stand in godly authority and yet are totally way off base as well. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a few things to consider. I think um, one of the, I suppose, small little verses throughout the Gospels you'll come across where it just simply says, and Jesus knew their heart. 
maybe before something happens or maybe before Jesus enters into dialogue, it will say Jesus knowing their hearts, etc., etc. And I think, I think that's the most challenging thing for us as Christians um, to always try and put ourselves in other people's shoes, even if it's the hardest thing to do, but also to, rem- to remember that God loves the whole person and knows the whole story. Uh, and we often don't. Mm. And we will see people's actions and we'll see people's mistakes. And these could be horrendous mistakes. And yes, there should be consequences and that's fine. But if we can't also be people who follow Christ's examples by looking to facilitate forgiveness or reconciliation or rehabilitation, then we are far from living the life of Christ. And, and so on the one hand, cancel culture is horrible. Um, but there's still, <laughs> I suppose... It is okay also that social media calls things out. Right. Uh, it, it is okay that maybe organizations get called out. Or if if there is something that is so far gone, we should be able to call it out. But if that's all it is and there's no side of us or part of us that is going to help that person then after, um, then it's just ugly, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say I was trying to, a, a few months back, I was looking at Matthew 18, and Matthew 18 is really all about kind of how do you deal with sin in the church, um, and similar Luke Luke 17 is kind of about that too, and when you look at it, it's so much more helpful to look, because often it's framed as church discipline, which is not an unhelpful term, it, it certainly it would be relevant to call it that, but to me, when I began to reframe it as looking at it as sort of a, the church's rescue plan. How do you deal with people who are going astray? How do you help him to come back? Um, and, and when you look at it that way, you see it actually makes a lot of sense to frame it as a rescue plan where people who are caught in bad behavior in sinful practices, um, you are, you know, by no means to ignore it or to kind of brush it away and think it's fine. You, you call it out and that's important. But you always do so under the context of, you know, this is, this is, you, you present a clear pathway back. You know, this is how we can re-engage in meaningful fellowship. This is, this is how you can come back, you know, through the practice of repentance, you have an open avenue to come back into the church. Uh, and then, you know, you know, as it kind of progresses, even when it goes to the furthest extent of saying, you know, treat them as a tax collector or sinner. Well, how does Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners? Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's, he extends the gospel of grace to them. He doesn't treat them as if they're anything else. He doesn't treat them as if they are disciples and you know, that they know the gospel and believe the gospel. No, he treats them as those who don't understand the gospel yet. And he, be, he, you know, they become part of the evangelical effort of the church to go out and to call them in and, and to, you know, to preach the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. So the, I, I love the fact that the church, in terms of the way that Christ envisions it, is supposed to have this beautiful blend between, you know, maintaining righteousness, maintaining proper standards of holiness within the church. And yet, when people do fall short, offering grace and forgiveness to them and a proper avenue to, to return, I think it's it's absolutely essential we do that. What I like, though, about like this um, this idea of a rescue plan is that it, it then 
it means that cancel culture kind of makes sense in a way because like john you were saying before that like hey it's good and appropriate sometimes to call out some things that are so far gone but in my mind i'm like but what's the point if we're not going to try to help people who are kind of um stuck in those mentalities so yeah the idea of like hey we're going to make the goal of this not condemnation but the goal of it to be a rescue now it kind of makes sense in my mind like we're not just calling people out for the sake of calling them out but for the sake of helping them become christ-like and rescuing them from that um yeah now it seems to have a purpose so it's just something that we fail to see sometimes but uh yeah i'm glad that there's that part there of like extending a hand and helping people and not simply calling them out yeah i think there's consequences to every um evolution of our society and so there's obviously going to be tons of negative consequences to the digital revolution um but at the same time you know you would live with the consequences knowing that racism can be properly dealt with you can we can also rejoice in even more equality being brought to the fore Mm -hmm. even with the genders so yeah as in i really dislike cancel culture it's going to be really difficult to stop but there are some other really positive things happening. And yeah, it should not be discounted that on social media, although it is a very dangerous place, there are some really cool things mm-hmm. happening too. Mm-hmm. How do you think that um, Christians can take that opportunity? Like now that we, okay, like if we have scriptures about like, okay, go out and like reach out to people, what do you think our role becomes on these platforms? Like as a church, you know, what, what does our role look like in that case? So I'll, I'll go to sorry quickly what Johnny said uh, before I answer Jess's question. I do think that again, touching on what you said earlier, where where Jesus you know knew the hearts of people, he knew the whole story. I have I do have compassion for those who who kind of actively fostered uh, sort of the cancel culture mentality and, and kind of at its genesis because what we are still dealing with is a culture in which there was basically no real-world repercussions or real-world recourse for dealing with behavior that was just abhorrent, you know. Um, people were, were kind of just getting away with the most awful things and, and not being kind of... It wasn't being dealt with at all. And mm-hmm. so you can understand the frustration that comes when it's just a continuing cycle of, you know, very racist or sexist or just abusive behavior that's going on and there's just no consequence, no consequence. It's only a matter of time until people take matters into their own hands. Uh, not to say that, uh, you know, you can really do real justice in a mob mentality, but it's a totally understandable uh, evolution of a person's frustration and, you know, and feeling like there's nothing else that's being done. And so you take matters into your own hand with Christians. Your question Jess, was what, what is a Christian's role within the social media platform? Yeah. Like when we, that's, I think it's hard for me to answer because, um, I'm my, my own use of social media is very, very limited because I just don't know. I, I haven't really answered that question in a personal way myself yet i don't see a healthy way i can often engage in meaningful dialogue with people online it just always comes across as difficult to get the right tone or difficult to and that's why i like things like a podcast because it's dialogue based you have an opportunity to elaborate on your point but it's not it's not dialogue with your audience you know it's dialogue among people so i certainly think that social media needs to be handled with the utmost care and respect by christians Absolutely, it need you know you cannot 
be you know provocative uh, just for the sake of being provocative online. I think we need to be very, very loving and generous with how we use it. But I know that's not a really concise answer as well. I know. Um, <laughs> uh, just when when I was just listening to your question, Jess, I was thinking uh, about Rob Bell. Um, I, I remember a I remember a time. I think it was after his his book. Maybe it was Love Wins. Um, and I remember mm. a very prominent Christian at the time. I think it was uh, it was Piper who just tweeted or texted, I think it was goodbye, Rob Bell. Um, and just in, in reflecting upon that, um, you know, this is not about, this, this thought here is not about Rob Bell specifically, but I think within Christendom and as Christians, we need to, particularly on social media and online, we need to have better honour and respect for each other, even when we disagree. Uh, and I remember that kind of tweet from, from Piper at the time, it just seemed so, um, it just seemed to come from the wrong spirit, as in, if, if Piper, you believe that you want to, you want to take a stand against, uh, some of Rob Bell's thoughts, then do so, and do so respectfully, and, and write it out, and if you believe you want to pastor your people, well then, write an article, and, and talk about it. it, it's that, I suppose, and look, this is not a bashing on Piper either, it's just, it's those kind of moments that I think as Christians, we need to really challenge ourselves on how do we honor those that we don't agree with within our own family and how do we respectfully dialogue with with people that we, again, might not agree on on everything with? Because that is, to me, just hugely important as we navigate uh, being able to share our faith. If we cannot dialogue with one another in our own family, right. why would we want to bring others into that family? Right, right. Um, so that's always been, that's been a, a challenge for me over the last five or ten years to challenge myself to be constantly respectful uh, and to and not to shy away either as in like good dialogue can disagree but it can be respectful Mm -hmm. and when I see Christians respectfully dialogue honestly sometimes it brings me to tears Mm -hmm. when I see it done the right way because it's it's powerful yeah yeah that's beautiful man and I think it's so much more in line with the vision that Christ has for us as a church to, to be those who, at the highest value, place unity and loving respect for one another. You know, below that come disagreements and, and something that comes up over and over and over again in, in um, the New Testament letters is the need for unity in the church. Um, and, I, and I understand that, you know, theological convictions are also of absolute, you know, highest importance, especially on, like, some key, key doctrinal issues. And so, yeah, there's gonna if if there's a disagreement at these sort of very very important integral levels, then, I, I, you know, there's there needs to be a kind of a recognition of that and a dealing with that. But at the highest, you know, at our highest priority needs to be maintaining unity, maintaining love. And one thing that blew me away from the first time I read it till today, even, is where Jesus says, "By the love you have for one another, people will know that you're my disciples." You know, unity is a form of evangelism. By the love we bear for one another, people will be able to recognize there's something different about us and be able to, like, proceed into that story with curiosity as what makes you different. And we've largely forgotten that from my perspective as as a modern-day church. We've largely forgotten the importance of unity 
and we've just sort of been happy to kind of remain splintered and, and set apart from each other. And, and I think uh, social media fosters that worst instinct within us to react momentarily to something and to just, just leap on that, that sort of first reaction without being methodical and thoughtful about how we approach and filtered, filtering our responses through the right you know, filters. You're talking about, um, it was, let me see. Yeah, it was in John 13. Um, eventually, when I was reading this, I stopped. When I was researching this, I stopped looking at memes and I opened my Bible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's in, what did I just say? John 13. Uh, this is Jesus talking and he's like, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And this is where you're like, oh, this is an evangelism tool. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Um, so yeah, clearly that's Jesus's vision for how we're supposed to interact, how we're supposed to engage with another um but you're saying like oh we seem to have forgotten that what do you what do you what do you think it why is it that we tend to overlook the importance of unity i think because it's very difficult well if i was well yes it is it is very difficult and um you know no matter where we're at in our faith journey we will always battle with our sinful nature. We will battle with superiority or arrogance. Uh, and when it comes to truth, you know, like the, the revealed truth that we have is such a blessing that we know that we are sinners saved by a loving God, you know, constantly trying to live with the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. And, and when you have it and when other people maybe don't have it or they are interpreted, interpreting it differently, you know, there is that kind of sinful side where, like, you want to be right and uh, and you really want to show other people where they're wrong. Um, and it can it can rage within you to a point of you're not actually caring about the person, you're just yeah. caring about being right. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's where unity breaks down, as in, can you be in a conversation or in a relationship where you're caring firstly about the person, not about the ending of your sentence? And so... Um, it, it is really challenging and I, I struggle with it as much as anyone else, but we don't want to cancel our own brothers and sisters mm. in Christ mm -hmm. because we believe that their theology is, is bonkers. You know, it's, um, if, if you're feeling that way, it's not where God, well, it's where I believe God wants you not to be. Uh, and you need to challenge yourself out of that, mm. uh, because it's, we are, we are known by that verse that we should be known by that verse that you have just shared which I was also going to share but yeah it's a, it's a challenging verse mm. for sure yeah you yeah. know it, it reminds me of that phrase like your, your point is to win a person not win an argument right oh. and, and the difference in approach between those two mentalities is absolutely crucial you're there not to prove them wrong but to try to win them over uh, win them as a person and so that takes a lot more listening it takes a lot more pointed questions of seeking to understand them and then only after you feel like you do understand them seeking to try to help them see a different point of view um, rather than like you know oh, pointing out the flaws in your logic and you know seeking to kind of undermine your point or, or whatever it is like it's, we're not there to debate people we're there to win a person over um, and that, that's character based uh, largely as well I think one thing that 
I'm thinking of right now, because um, you're saying, okay, we want to win people over. We don't want to um, just cancel someone because we agree with, because we disagree with their theology. But sometimes I'm just reminded now that sometimes I'm the one who's wrong um, and we don't want to overlook that either. Like I'm just going through a situation right now where like, in my mind, like in this, uh, in this, there's been like this conflict going on in my mind. I'm the one who was right, but now the person is helping me realize, hey, no, maybe there were some things that I that I could have handled differently. Maybe there were some areas in which like what I did was wrong. And so, yeah, a lot of the times we look at these things like, okay, I wanna, I wanna tell, let this person know that I'm right, and I wanna cancel them, and I want them to be convinced of my argument. But it's like, hold on, maybe you're the one who's wrong too. Um, and learning that is. It takes oh, it takes a lot of humility because um, I don't want to admit um, that I'm wrong, especially if it could like make me look bad or uh, that sort of thing. But it's like it's it's worth it to be like, well, you know, if grace really is a thing, then I can. It's okay to to have moments of failure because at the end of the day, like I'm still loved by God unconditionally. And if I can have brothers and sisters who are showing me that in the way that they're engaging with me and being like, Hey Jess, I think you were wrong because X, Y, Z and like presenting it in that way, then yeah, it is something great to experience um, mm-hmm. every once in a while. So, yeah. And it touches upon the opposite error that we can fall into is just when we see something wrong, we, d- we do nothing about it. You know, we can certainly overreact to it and then we can also very much underreact to it yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, and that would also not at all be loving or Christ-like at all to not point out flaws or, or just problems we see in a person's life. Again, like if we frame it as a rescue effort, if you see someone in danger and you think, I'm not going to do anything about it because it's awkward or because I don't know what to say or, you know, mm. or, you know try to pawn it off on somebody else and say, you know, it's not my problem. <laughs> it is your problem. Like this is a brother <laughs> or sister in Christ. Uh, they're in danger. Like, this is serious, serious stuff. It is your problem. And I think that's often that kind of uh, flat, flaccid mentality of like, just the wimpiness of, of certain kind of reactions that I see within myself as well. Uh, you know, I see the conflict avoidance within myself. I see the, the kind of apathy, apathy within myself that I have to fight against and say, no, like, don't give in to that. You know, mm-hmm. have that difficult conversation. Point out what you see in the person's life, even if it costs, even if it re- feels really painful in the moment and awkward. The, the cost of doing nothing can literally be this person's soul. Right. And, and that's just, it's just a really, really important thing to remember you know, when we're dealing with this stuff too. And I, and not a, you know, we can kind of bring a dad joke in it. What would Jesus cancel? Jesus would cancel our sin. <laughs> so mm, think about that. I think he did. <laughs> I think that's what the cross was about. I think. Yeah, we can say that with a lot of certainty, at least. <laughs> Jesus would cancel sin. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's good. It's, it's good news that he did cancel death as well. Amen. Um, you know, like it's our, it, it, it is our great hope that, you know, this is, this is not it, you know, that, um, you know, our eternal life starts now through faith and it, it is a great joy. And I was just going to say, as in often the, a reflection of how we are walking with God is, is, is often got to do with how our walk actually is. And I just know that in times of my own life, when I have been saturated in scripture or walking closely with, with my father, you you are more readily reminded of what you've been forgiven of the more that you're in mm-hmm. his word and in prayer. And you are also then 
inspired and motivated to love other people the way that he has loved you because it's probably it's so we're so fickle as human beings and we're even fickle as Christians to uh, to almost forget what God has done for us how much he loves us and we just we're, we're like children we need to we need to like re-read it every single day you know uh, and just remember uh, who we are in Christ and that and that he's he's just so keen for everyone to come to know him in this incredible way and uh yeah it 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 can be a i suppose a barometer of how well we're treating other people can often be how how closely we're walking with with Jesus ourselves mm-hmm. i think it's almost becoming a tradition in this podcast that i bring up timothy keller but there's a <laughs> there's a part in timothy keller's book on prayer that he talks about um prayer essentially being the only way to genuine self-knowledge because it's only in light of a sovereign God and a holy, you know, a holy God that you know who you are because outside of seeing him outside of sort of that mirror that's provided by the idea of my creator and who he, who he is and who he's made me to be, we are going to be so uh, liable to making mistakes as forming our own identity and living out of a different identity and then only only through prayer can we actually filter our thoughts as well and know whether our thoughts are right or wrong and, and get a different perspective on it as well. So, man, I can't agree more with what you said, Johnny, there about like how much are we engaging with a meaningful dialogue with God uh, because only through that are we going to know who we are. And our future, our future glory, our future with God has much more weight to define who we are than whatever your past was. You know, your past may be full of muck and grime and, and just brokenness, but your future is just spotless and beautiful and, and you know, just wonderful. And that has the power to kind of dictate who you are today far more than the past. And as you, as you sort of engage in the anticipation of what is to come and, yeah. and relish in the grace that you will step fully into, but even now spills over into life as you experience the daily mercy of God, the daily uh, purpose that he gives to your life and the identity that he places upon you. That can shape your steps and your attitudes far more than whatever your past contained and, and whatever difficulties you may have come from. And so when we're engaging with that, man, we become alive as a result. And it's the, you know, the best thing we can do with our day is make sure that our hearts are happy in the Lord, I would say. Amen. Yeah. So, so Jesus would cancel, cancel culture. He would cancel sin and he would cancel death. Um, anything else we kind of want to add to that? <laughs> Well, you missed out. That and in we... Canada, he has cancelled Tato crisps. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't put that on Jesus' shoulders. I'm sure he wasn't his fault. <laughs> no, I, well, I want to say thank you, Johnny, for joining us today. We really appreciate your insight um, and for being our first guest. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. Yeah. I want to say um, <laughs> I'm not hitting yeah. it now. It's it's growing on me. That <laughs> <laughs> was wrong. Well, it, is, uh, <laughs> it has been a, a pleasure to, to be with you. Loving what you're doing. Um, loving that you are getting into the podcasting space of, of creating great sort of Christian dialogue and, uh, and discussion. So God bless you in your future episodes. And uh, may all the guests 
that you bring uh, bring great joy <laughs> from whatever country it may be. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Yeah. Jess, um, can you just speak a little bit about how you initially connected with Johnny and, and what it is that you guys connected over? Because yeah, I think it's important sure. for people to know that platform as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Johnny was talking about dialogue and um, Johnny does a lot of, um, he made a lot of film series to help uh, people have those dialogues. The Irish word for new is nua and so he made a film series called the nua film series and it's about having new dialogue having new ways to approach faith Um, but i think uh, johnny can explain it better than i can (laughs) well no that's 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 just it as in um i've been a youth worker here in ireland for for over a decade and uh, working with young people in schools um i suppose there's just so many questions that young people carry uh, and we wanted to make a series that would engage with those questions in, in just in a fresh way. It's not new mm-hmm. theology. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's very old theology presented in, uh, I suppose, a modern cinematic way. Uh, and so you can you can check out those videos on the Voke app, V-O-K-E. That's right. Uh, and you can go on a faith adventure yourself or you can take the bold step and invite a friend on that journey. So the technology in the app is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not my side of things, which is why I'm so proud of it. Uh, but the uh, the Vogue team in Orlando are doing a, a great job. They're so killing it. V-O-K-E, check it out in your app store. There you go. <laughs> yes, I, I, I can probably say I have the Vogue app, and I think it's really cool. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Well, thanks so much, guys, right. for coming together today and for chatting about this issue. I really enjoyed our conversation. I appreciate I did too. Uh, all that yeah. you guys brought. And so for all of you who are listening, thank you so much for listening and for taking the time to do so. As always, if you want to get a hold of us, you'll see the email address in the show notes. Uh, we'll also put the link to Invoke in the show notes too. And that way you can check it out as well. Uh, thank you so much, Johnny, for coming. Thanks, Jess, as always. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. Yeah. Take care, guys. All right. God bless. Adios.